This is Unfilter, episode 240 for June 14th, 2017. Mr. Comey said that there were matters with respect to the recusal that were problematic and he couldn't talk about them. What are they? I, that, why don't you tell me? They are none, Senator Wyden. There are none. I can tell you that for absolute certainty. Yes, here we are, you guys, once again for another edition of Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that unfortunately you shouldn't be watching, but, you know, we've been so overwhelmed with special reports and loaded, breaking loaded. news and wall-to-wall coverage. Oh, my word. My name is Chase. There's Chris. Chris. Hey, buddy. So, as your listeners, my listeners, all our listeners know, I work at a television station, and, man, we were wall-to-wall today. Oh, boy. Uh, with with the, the shooting, uh, which I know we'll probably talk about. Also, wall-to-wall for the Jeff Sessions hearing. Yep, yep, And yep. Uh, our sales department hates it. <laughs> hates it. You really? know why? Because you can't sell ads against it? Well, there's no breaks. There's no commercials. Yep, yep. And guess what happens? Nobody makes money. Nobody makes money. God, it sucks when news is breaking. It sucks when we're actually covering, I don't know, news, right? Patreon.com <laughs> slash ABC News. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just pour one out for ABC. But no, I mean, that's honestly... This is one of those things where I actually give mainstream media a a big uh, where's my bell here a big bell, and the reason oh, hold on let me get my bell too hold yeah. on wait for it up oh, hold on uh, I gotta yeah. re- Scott I feel like this I should is, stretch this, uh, Chris this is analog control I know, I'm just gonna stretch hold it's on it's amazing there, there it is there you go yeah it, it's it's amazing it doesn't take batteries yeah actually your button's starting to go out yeah though. my my button's out there no I this guess is, we banged it this too is many where times. I <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. The reason why I like it, uh, I, I give them props, is because while, yes, it is a huge story, and while, yes, everybody likes to gloat it up and you know put their spin on it. It's a blockbuster. You can't spin live video. It's happening. It's right in front of you. The viewer makes a determination on his or her own what is going on. And for these big companies to say, you know what? We're going to go wall to wall. We're going to let you guys decide. And spend it. if you if you just tuned in to watch the presentation and at the end you turned it off, double plus one for you. Now I think that's a good thing. I uh, I've been watching you know all of this stuff and oh, yeah. we're gonna get so uh, we're gonna get into the Jeff Sessions stuff. We're gonna we'll also revisit just super briefly the Comey testimony. There's one nugget Who? that yeah it's this, this no. guy that used to work for the government. Okay. Uh, there was something that we couldn't fit in last week that I want to go back and touch on this week. Okay. Then we'll do the Sessions stuff. Okay. Then we're gonna do a little world news. And there's something I want to I want to adapt our cyber coverage so. Chase, you know the legacy of our cyber coverage. It was when Edward Snowden yes. dropped the first batch of leaks. We created yep. a segment in the show to cover them every single week because yeah. it was just a constant trickle. Oh, yeah. It was just like how the Clinton emails were trickled, just yeah. the same thing. It's how they do it these days. Yeah. And now we've adapted the cyber segment over the years to cover outlandish hacking stories or security things or just hype in the media. Well, I want to maybe – this is just a test trial. I want to start including this bullshit in the U.K., where their PM and others are trying to crack down on the internet 
destroy internet we safe spaces. We need to regulate it, Chris. Right. I want to keep I, the kids safe. I want to start integrating that coverage into yeah. the cyber segment because totally. I think this is something we this is something we have to stay on top of every single week. I think this is massively Agreed. important, and I want to start right there. British Prime Minister Theresa May visited the French President Emmanuel Macron on Tuesday. One of her primary goals was to garner support for new online security measures. <sighs> We're launching a joint UK-French campaign. Oh man, it just makes me sick in my stomach right there. Makes me sick in my stomach right there. To ensure that the internet cannot be used as a safe space. Which means encryption. For terrorists and criminals. Which means for everyone, because you take it away for one, one group, you take it away from all. We will lead joint work with the tech companies on the... The tech companies, Chase. And you know, as an open source advocate and Linux user, I am, I am freaked the F out what this means for open source. Because open source isn't a company. They're, they're not, they're not, they're not oh, unique yeah, to a yeah. single country. It is a, they're worldwide projects with contributors from every single country. And how do they, how can they possibly, possibly follow a rule like this? It's vital agenda including working with them to develop tools to identify and remove harmful material automatically. Oh, so Chris, fake news. Remove fake news so automatically. I, didn't, I don't know if you realize this, Chris, but to protect uh, our freedoms and the freedoms of the U.K. and uh, you know, sure. uh, France citizens, sure. uh, we need to take those freedoms away. Yeah, well, you can't, uh, if you don't have them, then you can't have them taken. That, fair enough. Right? I agree with that. Safe, man. Yeah, safe. UK-French campaign to ensure that the Internet cannot be used as a safe space for terrorists and criminals. We will lead joint work with the tech companies on the tech companies. this vital agenda, including working with them to develop tools to identify and remove harmful material. And the value of this is negative. Automatically. Oh, Crucially, our campaign will also By the way, we also need to uh, protect the kids. Right. Uh, because, you know, of all the online predators that are out there yeah, trying, sure. to, trying sure. to pluck them and yeah, steal definitely. them from the streets. And so. ISIS. ISIS. I mean, think uh, ISIL. Diash. Yeah. Exploring creating a legal liability for tech companies if they fail to take the necessary action to remove unacceptable content. So there will be a punishment for tech companies if you fail to take the necessary action. Yeah. The surveillance legislation being promoted by May has been criticized as being draconian. RT's Anastasia Cherkina filed this report from London. She may have fallen short in the election, but reaching far and wide and regulating the Internet is still on the agenda. Some people say that it is not for government to regulate when it comes to technology and the Internet. We disagree. That's in the Conservative Party manifesto, the document that's meant to be the roadmap for Theresa May's government. And here is the British Prime Minister not saying the Chinese model is the worst idea when it comes to handling the Internet. Why not simply take down the rogue Internet companies China has done? I think what we need to do is see how we can regulate. Would you rule out Chinese-style cyberblock in action? Let's work with the companies. Remember China, the place the UK press loves to hate as the place where Internet freedom goes to die? So would the British media soon have to replace the word China to UK in these headlines? I will look at giving more powers to the police and the security service, longer sentences for terrorist-related offences, ensuring there's no safe space online for terrorists, and dealing with extremism online as well. What we've seen you know, throughout the last 15 years since 2001 is the, the pretext of terrorism used to, to develop what is now the, the most intrusive surveillance apparatus of any democracy on the planet in the UK. What we've seen in terms of legislation is essentially 
actually just um, creating a legal pretext for what they've already been doing already. Just like we saw here in the U.S. Uh, that happened uh, de facto uh, later on down the road. Now, I want to shift gears for a moment. We'll keep watching that story as it develops. But right now, it's a lot of uh, pol- pol- uh, political talking points, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back, though, to reality winner. This is a Ooh. hell of a story. I'm sorry. Uh, what, what game show are we talking Sarah? about? Sarah. Sarah. Yes. Is that the game show? Sierra winner. Oh, that winner. Sorry. Just having some. Um, so it's there are some people online claiming that uh, the reason that she leaked the intercept was to reach Glenn Greenwald and convince him that there was some amount of Russia meddling, quote unquote. Ooh. Of course, Glenn has uh, released a statement. I, uh, I guess refuting that. I've linked it in the show notes. She's also supposedly at some point made a claim that she wanted to blow up the White House. So there's a lot of interesting things coming out about Reality Winner, and I want to play this report for you. Government contractor Reality Winner appeared in court Thursday. She's charged with illegally retaining and transmitting national defense information. The 25-year-old is accused of copying an intelligence report and sending it to the online publication The Intercept. David Begno has the latest. Reality winner was poised and polite as she stood before the federal magistrate here in Augusta, Georgia, telling him she understood everything he was saying. She was allowed to sit alongside her paid defense attorneys. The marshals took off her handcuffs, but they left her shackled at the ankles. Her mother and stepfather were in court listening. As the federal prosecutor took to the podium and said, we have information which has not been released yet, and it is both concerning and very disturbing. Now, that information was that she at some point had expressed an interest in blowing up the White House. That was the disturbing information. But the judge gave a bunch of other reasons, too. In fact, it was kind of odd. Initially, there was several possibilities tossed out why we should deny bail. And then they settled on the White House story. And then the prosecutor went on to say this. They allege that reality winner, while she was serving in the Air Force several years ago, plugged a thumb drive into a classified computer and presumably (gasps) downloaded information. What? Now, how would they... they, Wait. What? So that if if they knew of if they have an auditing system capable of tracking when USB devices were connected to say a Windows XP, Windows Seven, or Windows Ten or Eight terminal, then they would have known at the time that that had happened and did nothing about it. The question is, where is that thumb drive? And in denying her bail today, the judge said he's very concerned about where that thumb drive is and what's on it. The judge also said he was concerned by evidence presented by the prosecution that Reality Winner has a fascination with the Middle East and Islamic terrorism. And the judge said that, in part, was one reason he did not want to grant her bail or even give her the chance. And I want to stop here. This is where we begin to build the boogeyman story. She was a specialist in the Middle East for her job. She got paid money to learn more about them. And the more she learned and the more languages that she could speak, the more money she got paid. But now we can use this against her to build a story of what a radical she was becoming. A fascination with the Middle East and Islamic terrorism. And the judge said that in part was one reason he did not want to grant her bail or even give her the chance to put up money. Reality Winner's mother and stepfather took to the stand today and testified that they would put up whatever money and property was needed to help secure her bail before she presumably went to trial. Her parents talked about her being an A student, never giving them any problems. But the parents apparently said they hadn't heard 
other information released by the government, such as Reality Winner was using multiple cell phones, according to the government, with different SIM cards that would all but prevent the government from tracing her calls and information. The government also said that they have evidence that she was using special online tools to access the dark web, Uh making it nearly impossible to trace what she was doing. The dark web, Chase. The dark freaking web, dude. Yeah. That's no good. Yeah, so she's made Peter her first appearance, and they said, uh, yeah, no, no bail for you. I'm watching this story. There's something more to it. There's something There's something about it. It, it feels different than, than Manning. It feels different than Snowden. It, I don't know. I, it feels like almost it. It's almost too perfect of a package. If if that if that makes any sense at the all, the timing of it all, the yeah. intercepts leak, yeah, all of it, and then now Greenwald and Jeremy Shahill are are really in the shit about this whole thing, and yeah. they're getting super defensive. There's like a lot of awkward behind the scenes. There's people the people in the journalism business are jumping on this opportunity to say that the intercept is doomed, that uh, that they should just pack it up. Like there's <laughs> like yeah, man, people are out for blood right now with the intercept. It's funny, um, and I don't. I don't really think any of that's necessarily true, although it does seem like they did potentially really screw this thing up. They might have they they potentially leaked information either mistakenly or by accident that led to a source getting arrested immediately. And you got to you got to wonder if there is going to be some kind of fallout from that. Like maybe they're not going to get people leaking to them in the future. You know what I mean? Like, well, it I, seems like there's going to be some sort of fallout for it, the intercept because yeah. this was this was sort of their yeah. thing. Is you can come to us and uh, we'll report on it and we won't reveal our sources. And then this, and then in the case of the reality winner, dude, they like basically advertised to the FBI who their source was, and she didn't help herself either. No, no, and that's where I I, I really think that while they're trying to set this up as trying to make a I don't know example. Of the whole leaking situation, it seems situation, maybe like that could be a, that could be what's going on. That it, it it just feels too perfect of a package. Like all you know, oh yeah, we we trace the the printout of, of the pieces of paper. We we know the, the the crossing the t's and dotting the i's. Oh, case case closed, denying bail. It's all good to go. Yeah, it's like some something. There's there's a connecting dot here. And she was mentioned in some of the hearings, right? You know, well, yeah, we're already cracking down on leakers, and they and kind then, of implied her. Right. So let's go back to these hearings. There was something that came out in the Comey hearings last week, so much was happening that we couldn't fit it all in that I think it's it's really important that we talk about something that the former for, former the fired director of the FBI James Both. Comey said in his Both testimony. Yeah. <laughs> Again, so the American people can understand this, that report by the New York Times was not true. Is that a fair statement? Now, this report by the New York Times is about Trump campaign collusion, but in, in general, it just goes to the whole topic of the Russia, Russia coverage eventually. In the main, it was not true. You know, in the main, Chase. In the main. And again, all of you know this, the American people don't. No, of course they don't, because we don't get classified briefings. Uh, the challenge, and I'm not picking on reporters, about... Yeah, he's not picking on when you, reporters. When you, when, when you say the line, I don't mean to be rude, I don't mean to pick on, I don't mean to do, the next thing you do is exactly what you said you wouldn't do. So, yes, you do mean to do that, Mr. Comey. You know this, the American people don't. Uh, the challenge, and I'm not picking on reporters, about writing stories about classified information is the people talking about it often don't really know what's going on, and those of us who actually know what's going on are not talking about it. And we don't call the press to say, hey, you got that thing wrong about this sensitive topic. We just have to leave it there. I mentioned to the chairman the nonsense around what influenced me to make the July 5th statement. Nonsense, but I can't go explaining how it's nonsense. Thank you. There have been news accounts 
about the Russia investigation, about collusion, uh, about this whole event uh, or accusations, that as you read the story, you were stunned about how wrong they got the facts. Yes, there have been many, many stories purportedly based on classified information about, well, about lots of stuff, but especially about Russia that are just dead wrong. Dead wrong. Dead, dead wrong. wrong. Dead wrong, Chase. Yeah. So no argument. Case closed. Let's, uh, <laughs> we're good. Let's not worry about that. Yeah. Let's continue reporting on anonymous sources who are right. telling us bullcrap. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, then there was another aspect of his testimony that struck me at the time, but then nobody really made a big deal about it. And I thought maybe I misunderstood. And that was the fact that Comey himself admitted to being a leaker. More fallout after Thursday's testimony where the fired FBI director insisted memos documenting conversations with the president were his. Do you consider it to be somehow your own personal document that you could share with the media as you wanted to? I understood this to be my recollection recorded of my conversation with the president as a private citizen. I felt free to share that. But former agents say this FBI employment agreement bars the disclosure of records or raw data gathered on the job, regardless of classification. And it applies to everyone, even senior leadership. I think that um, there probably could be a violation there. Whether it's something anyone would do anything about in this context, I find hard to believe. Comey revealed using his friend to leak under questioning from Senator Susan Collins. Later on Fox, she disputed his claim that he was free to share his memo. Mr. Comey was writing in his private journal. They are FBI documents and thus government work product. They are not his private papers. What do you think about this? So he has these memos that he's been writing in case something happens and then he saves them and then he he gives them to a friend, a liberal professor, who then leaks them to the media. I'm confused about it. That I mean, seems he, he's a private citizen, right? Yeah, so he's at, a private so, citizen. So at, the time. at that point, he can do it all as one. His, but, I think his excuse was like he didn't want to be uh, magnified glass by the by the press, you know, like stalking him. And he all had that three fun excuses. Stuff. His, yeah. So that was one of them. That right. was one. Second yeah. excuse was that he wanted to force the hand of a special prosecutor, and third excuse was is that he wanted to get his version out in the quote unquote public square. End quote. Okay. And um, I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with any of those motivations. What what gives me pause, then that means that when he wrote the memos, he wrote them in a way with the intention of possibly using them against Trump to begin with. True, yeah. And it also, it sort of is counter to his, uh, the most honest guy in D.C. brand. I mean, I know. Because as soon as he's not, uh, official I, or not official, you shouldn't be leaking. Like if you are, a, if you are, a, if you are a person of strong moral compass and you believe in the strong legal framework of our country and and the framework of government, then how the hell do you, the first, the, like literally the first thing you do after you get fired is you start leaking? Well, I don't, I don't think that's the first time this man's leaked. Well, that's yeah, that that's possible. I I, I won't say no on that. I I, I will say though that. And I always try to put myself in another people's shoes from time to time. And, you know, he's a tall guy, so I think I could do it. Yep. And if I was in his shoes and I just got fired by the president and shit on and, and shit on, you know, I don't know. I might be doing stuff that's a little rash. Now, granted, I still feel it weird that he just didn't do it himself. Maybe the uh, reason why yeah. he didn't do it himself because he was trying to, I don't know. It seems calculated. It seems yeah, like he, very calculated. he calculated how to write these memos, what he can put in them so that the way, right. that way they could be released later and they wouldn't be considered confidential. Right. Yeah, that seems true. pretty calculated. Yeah. 
counterfeit papers. Because Comey passed information through a third party, he said for a variety of reasons, another Republican questioned whether there is a pattern. If he's so good at leaking, was he doing that all along as head of the FBI? There's a lot of leaks coming out of the intelligence community, and not all of them are very benign. They did not personally leak the information, but they gave it to a friend to leak it. Yeah. That could be a possibility. Let's come back on that. Let's keep moving forward, though, because I want to talk about, instead of Comey's testimony, I want to talk about Sessions, because that was yesterday. <laughs> and Jeff Sessions supposedly asked for a public testimony. And um, he started with a written statement, and he started strong. And uh, he called the accusations of collusion a detestable lie in his opening statement. Further, I have no knowledge of any such conversations by anyone connected to the Trump campaign. I was your colleague in this body for 20 years, at least some of you, and I particip- I, uh, And the suggestion that I participated in any collusion. Now, what did he say there? Because it sounded like he started to say, it sounded like he started. Obstructed? And the suggestion that I participated in any collusion, that I was aware of any collusion with the Russian government to hurt this country which I have served with honor for 35 years. Well, he gets a little passionate there. He gets a little mad there. Or to undermine the integrity of our democratic process is an appalling and detestable lie. Relatedly, there is the assertion. Now, I want to stop here. So this is an opening statement that he's written and that you could you could actually see the print. Yeah, it's 36 times New Roman, right? It's, it's kind of it's, ridiculous. It's huge. It's huge print. And he still managed to kind of get a couple parts of it wrong. Oh, Jeff Sessions, you are a monster, but we'll talk about more of that later. Uh, and I thought this was this was a hearing that was riddled with one particular problem. Anytime a question came around that involved any conversation that Sessions had had between himself and Trump, Sessions wouldn't comment on it. And this came up over and over again. I'm sorry, I can't talk about that. That involves communications between myself and the president and the president. Anything verbal, I can't talk about. Anything verbal. And I thought this exchange sort of epitomized the issue completely. Attorney General Sessions, has the president ever expressed his frustration to you regarding your decision to recuse yourself? Uh, Senator Heinrich, I'm not um, able to share uh, with this committee, private communication. Because you're invoking have. executive privilege. And this is this, by the way, is well into the hearing. And yeah, it, I, I actually watched this live. I, I yeah. was like, I was waiting. Like, and is somebody going to ask, like, what privilege is he using right. to not have to answer these questions? Oh, Chris, Share, it's just a rule. Uh, with this committee, private communication. Because you're I invoking have. executive privilege. I'm not able to invoke executive privilege president's uh, prerogative. Well, my understanding is that you took an oath, you raised your right hand here today, and you said that you would solemnly swear. This is called the Henrich Maneuver. To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. So my... Uh-oh, that's, that's charged language. My understanding of the legal standard is that you either answer the question, that's the best outcome. You say, this is classified, can't answer it here. I'll answer it in closed session. That's bucket number two. Bucket number three is to say, I'm invoking executive privilege. There is no appropriateness bucket. It is not a legal standard. Can you tell me what are these longstanding DOJ rules that protect conversations made in the executive without 
invoking executive privilege. Senator, I'm protecting the president's constitutional right by not uh, giving um, it away. So his argument is, well, in case Trump wants to invoke executive privilege, I have to protect it. Before he has a That's chance not a ru- uh, to do uh, it. Way. And secondly, I am telling the truth. Now, there is something, uh, there is something you have to uh, give this guy a credit for. Uh, Are you talking about Heinrich or Sessions? Sessions, because it's – and I I do not like Jeff Sessions. I thought you loved this guy. But there is something to keep in perspective. Uh, compared to um, Obama's attorney general, this guy is uh, is more than forthcoming. This guy is uh, – the Holder, – Holder was held in contempt of Congress. I don't know if you guys recall this, but he was such a son of a bitch when it came to answering questions. He refused to hand over papers and he was held in contempt. So while we all get to make fun of Jeff Sessions for not recalling things and we all like to give him a hard time for not uh, speaking because of longstanding policy. Right. We accepted the same answer from Eric Holder. In answering your question, in saying it's a longstanding uh, policy of the Department of Justice, are those not policies time written? It, even uh, and to make sure the president has full opportunity uh, to. It's a bullshit answer, but, and essentially what they're doing, and the, and I think they know this, is they're using the Eric Holder excuse. Yeah, but then they go after Eric Holder though for contempt. Nothing happened. Nothing became. But I'm, I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that initially, didn't they go after Some him? Republicans did try to go after him. Right. I, I honestly Democrats, th- though, were good with it. Just like now, the Republicans right. are good with it and the Democrats exactly. are against I, it. I'm just saying, though, it's happened both ways. I, I don't, I'm not just saying it, you know, yeah. they didn't just let him off. Either off way, it prevents getting good answers. That's, oh, yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. And, you know, people did call him out for essentially stonewalling, uh, like your good buddy. My friend. Wyden. I believe the American people have had it with stonewalling. Americans don't want to hear that answers to relevant questions are privileged and off limits or that they can't be provided in public or that it would be, quote, inappropriate for witnesses to tell us what they know. Now, I I lost a a small amount of respect for Ron here because having listened to all of this, uh, when Ron came on, it immediately felt like because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't instantly recognize his voice. But what I instantly recognized is, oh, somebody's giving a performance for the camera. Oh, yeah. And I so I lost a little because that's essentially what he's doing here to a degree. He's saying, really, if you think about it, obvious shit. The American people don't like it when you don't give answers. Well, no shit, Sherlock. No shit. That's why you don't do this stuff in a public setting. If you want, if you want the secret answers, you have to do it in a private private session. But doing this in the public allows you to cry obstruction of justice intentionally premeditated. I'm not trying to defend Jeff Sessions not answering questions. I think it's bullshit. I also think it was extreme dangerous bullshit when Eric Holder did it for much more important reasons. I don't like it either time. But this is showboating. This is, I know this is being broadcasted live on television around the nation. And this comes across as showboating, especially after you listen to a lot of other senators. It's not quite as impactful because you're not listening to the whole two-hour and 40-minute testimony. But when Ron comes on and Tom Cotton on the other side of the aisle, when he comes on, it's an obvious performance happening. Be provided in public or that it would be, quote, inappropriate for witnesses to tell us what they know. We are talking about an attack on our democratic institutions 
and stonewalling of any kind is unacceptable. And General Sessions has acknowledged that there is no legal basis for this stonewalling. So now to questions. Last Thursday... Just a statement. No question in that. I asked former Director Comey about the FBI's interactions with you, uh, General Sessions, prior to your stepping aside from the Russian investigation. Mr. Comey said that your continued engagement with the Russian investigation was, quote, problematic, and he, Mr. Comey, could not discuss it in public. Mr. Comey also said that FBI personnel had been calling for you to step aside from the investigation at least two weeks before you finally did so. Now, in your prepared statement, you stated you received only, quote, limited information necessary to inform your recusal decision. But given Director Comey's statement, we need to know what that was. Were you aware of any concerns at the FBI or elsewhere in government about your contacts with the Russians or any other matters relevant to whether you should step aside from the Russian investigation? Now, Sessions was pretty even keeled for almost all of his testimony until it got to this stuff. Senator Warren. I uh, am not stonewalling. I am following the historic policies of the Department of Justice. You don't walk into any hearing or committee meeting and reveal confidential communications with the President of the United States who's entitled to receive uh, confidential communications in your best judgment about a host of issues. Uh, uh, and and he doesn't really answer his question. He's no. not answering the question, but he's he was obviously slightly triggered. He's by well, the stonewalling yeah, well, thing. Well, he's saying it's not stonewalling because I'm protecting the president's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you, you know, know what, Ron Wyden? Ron yeah. Wyden says, "But dude, dude, you're not answering my question." General Sessions, respectfully, you're not answering the. Well, question. what is the question? <laughs> so he starts. The tension rises a bit here. Just a notch. And this was a moment that really stood out to me. And I want you to keep in mind the previous clips we played where I said maybe Comey's a leaker. question <laughs> is, Mr. Comey said that there were matters with respect to the recusal that were problematic and he couldn't talk about them. What are they? I, that, why don't you tell me? They are none, Senator Wyden. Ooh, there are none. Fired up. I can tell you that for absolute certainty. We can, we can. You tell this is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. Now, this is something that he is genuinely fired up about all of a sudden. When it comes to leaks and innuendos and political sabotage via selective leaks, this has him <laughs> pissed. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me, and I don't appreciate it. And I've tried to give my best and truthful answers to any committee I've appeared before, and it's really a. Uh, uh, people are suggesting through innuendo uh, that I have been not honest about matters. And I- now the uh, the subtext, the context around this conversation is after a private session meeting with Comey, it was immediately leaked. Like as like it as people as, were, as people are walking out from the testimony, the private session testimony, it leaked that James Comey had concerns about his recusal. Now, uh, after hearing this testimony, I don't really have any particular concerns around the recusal itself. Uh, but Senator Harris 
wanted to know more about this quote unquote rule or quote unquote policy that allows Sessions to recuse himself from answering. Referred to a longstanding DOJ policy. Um, can you tell us what policy it is you're talking about? Well, I think most cabinet people, as the witnesses uh, you had before you earlier, those individuals uh, declined to comment because we're all about conversations with the president. Sir, I'm just because asking that's you about the DOJ policy you referred policy to. policy that goes beyond just the attorney general. Is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I, I think so. Oh my God! You know what I love about both Sessions and Trump? Neither one of them, I think, have a moment of attention. So you just—they're just bullet point people in conversations. Don't even bother showing them the piece of paper. General, is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I—I think so. So did you not consult it before you came before this committee, knowing we would ask you questions about it? Well, (laughs) we—that's a good question. Because you know you just said it like fifty times, yeah. so I'm wondering if maybe you at least, read. At least she's she's doing real short, like cut to the chase questions. Cut to the what? No, I don't. We talked about it. The, the policy is. Did based, you ask that it would be shown to you? The policy is based on the principle that the president. Sir, uh, I'm not asking about the principle. I'm asking when well, you, I'm you able would be to asked these the questions and you would rely on that policy. Sure, Did you not ask? Your staff to show you the policy. They start roping her, and you hear the guy. Yeah. And you know, and she's been shut down before. Yeah, last last well, she does this. I mean, but her question is not out of bounds. This, see, the thing is, is you have to remember that they they often already know the answers. This is this is a performance. It's just a performance for the other well, side. But yes, yeah, so I agree. But, her question but, is not out of bounds. Yeah. It's good questioning. Yeah. These questions, and you would rely on that policy. Did you not ask? Your staff to show you the policy that would be the basis for your refusing to answer the Chairman, majority of questions that have been asked. Chairman, should be allowed to answer the question. Senators will allow the chair <laughs> to control the hearing. Senator Harris, let him answer. Please do. Uh, Thank you. We talked about it, uh, and we talked about the real principle that's at stake. So then he tries to run the clock out. This is, he, and he's he's not great at it. There's others that are better at running the clock out, but there was a moment that was. Um, Humanizing? I don't know how to put this. It's funny how these these testimonies do humanize these people a bit. The people asking the questions, not so much, but the people getting asked questions, you can't help but see some of their natural quirks come out or some of their less graceful moments. Do I need to be correct as best I can? I do want you to be honest. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. (laughs) Yeah, I, when I saw that, I was just like, what? Yeah, it makes him nervous, dude. I'm nervous because I don't want to mess up what I'm going to say. All right, so I want to make sure we talk about what the, some of the substance of the testimony. So that was some of the, uh, that was some of the uh, shenanigans. But let's talk about the substance. And what really is going to have ripple effects out of this is some of the testimony around Comey's firing. And Sessions was clear that he was on board with firing t- – Comey, regardless of the Russia investigation. The scope of my recusal, however, does not and cannot interfere with my ability to oversee the Department of Justice, including the FBI, which has an $8 billion budget and 35,000 employees. I presented to the president my concerns and those of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein about the ongoing leadership issues at the FBI. So the recommendation that was sent to Trump to fire Comey came from Rosenstein and Sessions, quote unquote, just adopted the memo. 
as stated in my letter recommending the removal of Mr. Comey, along with the Deputy Attorney General's memorandum on that issue, which have been released publicly by the White House. Those represent a clear statement of my views. Now, what what was his views? What was the issue? What were they concerned about Comey's performance? I think right here, Jeff Sessions implies that Comey was a leaker and he got fired for it. To lead the great men and women of the FBI. Do you really believe that this had to do with Director Comey's performance with the men and women of the FBI? There was a clear view of mine and of uh, uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein as he set out at some length in his memoranda, which I adopted and sent forward to the president, that we had uh, problems there. And it was my best judgment that a fresh start at the FBI was the appropriate thing um, to do. Now, listen to the nuances, because this has been cut off almost everywhere else right there. Uh, and when I asked, I said that to the president. It's something I had adhered to. Deputy Rosenstein's letter uh, dealt with a number of things. When the uh, Mr. Comey uh, declined the Clinton prosecution... This was a this was a moment when it happened. I thought I misunderstood what had happened. I thought I didn't think it was the role of the FBI director to choose who would be prosecuted or not. That's I in my in my view of the way the government works, that would have gone to the Justice Department. The FBI does the investigation. They make their recommendation. They provide the facts and the evidence. And then the Justice Department makes a decision about prosecution. But in the case of the Clinton investigation, Comey made the decision. Decline the Clinton prosecution. Uh, that was really a usurpation of the authority uh, of the federal prosecutors in the Department of Justice. It was a stunning development. I completely agree. And I thought at the time that I just misunderstood. The, the uh, FBI are, is the investigative team. They don't decide prosecution policies. And so uh, that was a thunderous thing. He also commented at some length on the declination of the Clinton uh, uh, prosecution. This is also something that was shocking. And one of the reasons that it led to a massive controversy about Comey's decision is he held a press conference to condemn the guilt to guilty and then turned out to be innocent. This isn't how it works. When you pronounce somebody innocent, you don't generally outlie all of the horrible things they did. By the way, they're innocent, but they also have poor judgment. They weren't safe. They did these horrible things. This isn't standard operating procedure, especially for the director of the FBI. If you consider if you if you announce that somebody's innocent, the Justice Department says, "Okay, there's no case here." They don't then just release all of the shit they have on somebody. Right. That's not something that normally happens. And you normally do that when they are guilty. But when Comey decided to announce that she was innocent, he still for 13 minutes outlined all of the horrible decisions she had made. Ended at some length on the declination of the Clinton uh, uh, prosecution, which you should not normally and you shouldn't do. Uh, policies have been historic. If you decline, you decline and you don't talk about it. There were other things that uh, had happened that indicated to me a lack of discipline. Other things that had happened that indicated to me a lack of discipline. Now, this is a public hearing. 
There are things that everybody in these seats knows about that we don't know about that have been disclosed in private sessions. When he says there are other things that happened that indicated a lack of discipline. That uh, had happened that indicated to me a lack of discipline. I think that might very well mean, now this is of course me assuming here, but this might very well mean that James Comey was one of the leakers. The lack of discipline, either he didn't leak himself maybe directly, but friends did of James the, Comey. The only the only problem with that I have with that train of thought, though, is and, – and it's also in the uh, testimony. I don't know if we have a clip on it or not. Uh, one of the senators asked him, so you know, did you ever talk with Director Comey yeah, about, his, about his behavior yeah. and about you know, the, the well, here's policies why. and things? Because like, here's, here's the conversations never happened. Here's the bookend of my thought. Uh, they were all on board with him leaking as long as they also – as long as he also leaked that Trump himself wasn't under investigation. But Comey wouldn't leak that part. And I think what pissed Trump off is that Comey would leak some things and not leak other things. He would leak the damning things but not the beneficial things. And so that was truly what pissed Trump off. And so now Sessions can sit here and say, well, the FBI director needs to set a good example and we can't have the FBI director gossiping to the media. It had happened that indicated to me a lack of discipline and it caused controversy on both sides of the aisle. And I had come to the conclusion that a fresh start was appropriate and did not mind putting that but, in writing. But here's the thing, you know, a fresh start is needed, fine. Because of those situations, fine. But it's all about timing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and timing and optics. And if this was something that was so strong and that a, quote, fresh start was well, needed... unless Comey is playing into the Russia hype by doing selective leaks and not leaking right. other things, that he's sort of making it worse and it's worse. It's theory. It's possibility. Yeah. It's, yeah, who knows? It's possible. It's possible that it's uh, he only leaked uh, after he was fired. But we do know he leaked at some point. Right. The former FBI director, which is sort of amazing and just... It, it sort of really encapsulates what 2017 has all been about. There was an exchange back and forth. Again, this is another performance. I'm not a big fan of Tom Cotton either. But uh, And I left the beginning of his setup because he didn't, he didn't think his mic was on. So he goes into his script, you know, because he really, this is his moment in front of the nation. So he goes into his script. Oh, well, fuck, my mic's not on. Oh, there we go. Now let me set it up again. And if this doesn't perfectly illustrate what a little dance show it is, I don't know what will. Well, I am on this side of the dais. <laughs> So I can say a very simple question that should be asked. Oh, what's going on here? Yeah, uh, what's this on? Uh, 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 that should be asked. Hmm, I, this is really important. This is my moment. I want to make sure everybody hears this. Hello? Are you listening to me? I am on this side of the dais. So a very simple question that should be asked is, did Donald Trump or any of his associates in the campaign collude with Russia in hacking those emails and releasing them through the public? That's where we started six months ago. We have now heard from six of the eight Democrats in this committee, and to my knowledge, I don't think a single one of them asked that question. They've gone down lots of other rabbit trails, but not that question. Maybe that is because Jim Comey said last week, as he said to Donald Trump, that on three times he assured him he was not under investigation. Maybe it's because multiple Democrats on this committee have stated they have seen no evidence thus far after six months of our investigation and 10 months or 11 months of an FBI investigation of any such collusion. I would just suggest, what do we think happened at the Mayflower? 
So this Mayflower Hotel is where uh, the supposed collusion between Jeff Sessions and the Russians happened, and it's weak. So Jeff Sessions goes to this public event, and there is a VIP lounge where everybody's in there shaking hands, and there was a Russian in there, and Jeff was in there. And so who knows what happened? Mr. Sessions, are, are you familiar with what spies called tradecraft? A little bit. That involves things like covert communications and dead drops and brush passes, right? That is part of it. Do you like spy fiction? John Le Carre? <laughs> what? Daniel Silva? Do you Jason like Matthews? Do you like Gladiator yeah, movies? first. David Jason Ignatius. Just finished Ignatius' or, book. Do you, like, do you like Jason Bourne or James Bond movies? No. Yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> have, have you ever, in any of these fantastical situations, heard of a plot line so ridiculous that a sitting United States senator and an ambassador of a foreign government colluded at an open setting with hundreds of other people to pull off the greatest caper in the history of espionage? <coughs> Thank you for saying that, uh, Senator Cotton. It's just like through the looking glass. I mean, what is this? I explained how, in good faith, I said I had not met with Russians because they were uh, suggesting I, as a surrogate, had been meeting continuously with Russians. I said I didn't meet with them. And now the next thing you know, uh, I'm accused of some reception uh, uh, plotting some sort of uh, influence campaign for the American election. It's just beyond my capability to understand, and I really appreciate, Mr. Chairman, the opportunity at least to be able to say publicly, I didn't participate in that and know nothing about it. And I, and I, I gather that's one reason why you want to testify today in public. Uh, last week, Mr. Comey, in uh, characteristic, dramatic, and theatrical fashion, alluded ominously to what you call innuendo that there was some kind of classified intelligence uh, that suggested you might have colluded with Russia or that you might have otherwise acted improperly. You've addressed those allegations here today. Do you understand why he made that allusion? Actually, I do not. Um, That's, I have I, no, I nobody's provided me any information Thank you. My about time is that. limited. I have a lot of questions. Um, Mr. Blunt asked you if you had spoken in response to Mr. Comey's statement to you after his private meeting with the president on February 14th or February 15th. Uh, you said that you did respond to Mr. Comey. Mr. Comey's testimony said that you did not. This was interesting. Do you know why Mr. Comey would have said? This is the biggest gap between his testimony and Comey's. That you did not. Do you know why Mr. Comey would have said? that you did not respond to him on that conversation with you on February 14th or 15th? I do not. Um, it was a little conversation, not very long, um, but there was a conversation, and I did uh, respond uh, to him, perhaps not to everything he asked, but huh? uh, he, I did respond to him, I think in an appropriate way. Oh. Do you know why uh, Mr. Comey mistrusted President Trump from their first meeting on January 6th. He stated last week that he did, but he didn't state anything from that meeting that caused him to have such mistrust to believe. Uh, I'm not able to uh, speculate on that. Let's turn to the potential crimes that we know have happened. Leaks of certain information. I'm going to stop there. Uh, but I thought I thought that exchange was I thought Cotton had a good exchange. I'm not a big Cotton fan. Not a big Cotton fan. But it was good. It was all right. There was also some questions about if Trump 
had the power to fire Mueller, if Trump had any confidence in Special Investigator Mueller. Well, as we record the show, there's a bit of breaking news around Mueller and who he wants to talk to soon. Oh. The Washington Post is now reporting that the special counsel, Robert Mueller, is investigating Mueller. President Trump for possible obstruction of justice. Uh, a major story in the Washington Post, Evan uh, Perez, you're still with us. Uh, Washington Post saying the special counsel investigation interviewing as early as this week three top intelligence officials as part of this investigation. What are you hearing? Right. The irony here being, Wolf, that uh, one of the reasons why uh, Donald Trump fired James Comey as FBI director was because James Comey wouldn't go out and say that he wasn't under investigation. And in so doing, he has now essentially made Bob Mueller, the new special counsel, uh, essentially investigate the president for uh, obstruction of justice for interfering in this investigation, according to the Post story. Uh, and all the signs have been there. Now, it is the Washington Post, so keep that in mind. Really, because of all the signs from Rod Rosenstein and other people testifying the last few days, that the FBI and the special counsel were going to be looking at the issue. We, we, so we heard from James Comey that he essentially wanted uh, the special counsel to investigate. the. You know I'm going to be looking for clips for that, although I don't know if that would be a public setting. I doubt it. I bet you they would do it as a private thing. Oh, totally. No, I... I, I now, Trump man. says, he says that he he was asked, a reporter said, would you testify? He said, yeah, I'll 100% testify well, oh, yeah, under oath. Oh, yeah, 100%. But when I heard this and people are homing, homing in on it, just keep listening. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you have the whole clip. I think so. Yeah, okay. And I mean, it does, still doesn't mean it's going to be public. <laughs> I got the microphone. Oh, boy. If you allow me if to... I could only, if I could only sell that, if I could only sell it. Who would like to ask? Should I take one of the killer networks that treat me so badly as fake news? Oh, killer shit. networks that treat me so badly killer. as fake news. Really? They're killing you? Really? Come on, man. Uh -huh. Standing room, Mr. President. Go ahead, John. Thank you. Be fair, John. Oh, absolutely. Remember how nice you used to be before I ran? Um, Such a nice man. Always fair. Uh, Mr. President, um, I want to get back to James Comey's testimony. You, you suggested he didn't tell the truth in everything he said. Uh, he did say under oath that you told him to let the Flynn uh, – you, you said you hoped the Flynn investigation you could let – I didn't let say that. So he lied about that. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, I will tell you I didn't say that. And, and did he ask you to pledge his And there'd loyalty? be nothing wrong if I did say it according to everybody. <laughs> Why does he do that, dude? Why does he do that? Oh, let me ask you this. What – why would he, he say that if it was if he didn't say it, it's a lie. Right. But then he doesn't say it's not a lie. And he also says, but if I did say it, that's like when Mike, I didn't do that, dad. But if I did, it would be fine because she did it first. And mom said it was OK. Say that. I mean, I will tell you, I didn't say that. And, and did he ask you to pledge? His and there'd loyalty? be nothing wrong if I did say it, according to everybody now, that he, I've uh, read. He messes today, up on the question here. Which, I mean, we all know that he, he could probably just reversed the words, but just I FYI. did not say that. And did he ask for a pledge of loyalty from you? That's another thing he said. No. No, and he meant to say, did you ask for a, for a right, pledge? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he did not. Now, and Trump just went with it. So he said those things under oath. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. These and I didn't say under oath. I hardly know the man. All I'm right, not going to say I want wait, you to. So why? 100% I didn't say under oath. Why – Trump goes on here to talk about, no, I didn't say those things under oath. It, it feels a very confusing response that no one seems to hold in on. And I didn't say under oath. I OK, I'm going to back up a little bit. Yeah, 100%. I didn't say under oath. 
I hardly know the man. I'm not going to say I want you to pledge allegiance. Who would do that? Who would ask a man to pledge allegiance under oath? I mean, think yeah, that's of it. Not what he I asked. hardly know the man. Wait, so stop right there. I didn't say tell him to say under oath. I, the, the, what he's saying here is not making sense to me. Unless someone, unless I'm missing something. No, I, you're right. It is confusing. I, I had to play it twice because I don't understand. Right, it. and most of the mainstream, I think all the media, just every media, is homing in. Oh yeah, 100. percent I would testify, but they're not homing in on the fact that what he's saying right. here is confusing. All right, now I'm going to play it. Don't stop it. Don't I say anything. I, I, need, say I need to hear the whole I'm sitting thing. Sitting on my fingers. Okay, I got to hear the whole thing in context. Every got time it. we stop it, I feel like I lose it. All right, because right. yeah, it's super confusing. Yeah, can you stop here? All right, go. <laughs> under oath, would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of 100? percent I didn't say under oath. I hardly know the man. I'm not going to say I want you to pledge allegiance. Who would do that? Who would ask a man to pledge allegiance under oath? I mean, think of it. I hardly know the man. Yeah, you're right. Who would ask to pledge allegiance under oath? The whole That's thing not what he asked. What's so weird about it is that John starts by asking, did he ask for an oath of loyalty? And then would you be would you be willing to, to pledge under oath? It's the whole No th- one is talking about this this line here and I, it's bugging the hell out of me. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I know. I didn't say that, and I didn't say the other. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm done, man. I'm I mean, done. I, I don't know. I don't know what reality we're living in anymore. This is getting weird. The FBI, the director of the FBI, leaks stories. Donald Trump can't speak clearly. Like, what's going on? And meanwhile, he's going to get his ass sued. Adding new legal firepower to challenge President Trump's worldwide business holdings. Maryland and the District of Columbia say he's violating the Constitution's ban on public officials receiving presents or payments from foreign sources. Those provisions are walls, their suit says, against presidential corruption. And the one thing we know about President Trump is he understands the value of walls. This is one he can't climb over, and it's one he can't dig underneath. The lawsuit, filed by two Democratic attorneys general, says Mr. Trump markets his properties as president and benefits from payments by foreign countries... Ah, the story that shut down the subreddit, Chase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's getting he's also getting sued by like 200 Democrats. Like, there's a lot going on right now. There is much to discuss. Uh, you know what's driving me crazy? That photo right there. Zoom into that photo. Yeah, so uh, now— I can't believe it. Before we uh, get into the uh, community stuff, let's just finish up on the Trump stuff. Uh, Trump's having a tough time right now because he's got to pick favorites between two fighting siblings, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And, of course, he has to bend over backwards because Saudi Arabia is the more successful sibling. Good morning, Joe. This morning, there's some new reporting on the $110 billion arms deal with Saudi Arabia. President Trump announced on his foreign trip a couple of weeks ago, according to the Brookings Institution, the deal is actually just, quote, a bunch of letters of interest or intent, more akin to proposals, they say. More akin to proposals, Chase. A wish list that, quote, the Saudis will be interested in someday. Oh, so like, if you behave and you do what we want, we'll eventually give you this money. Contains no actual binding <laughs> contracts. Many of the proposals have been on the table since the Obama administration. Oh. In addition, it is unclear if Saudi Arabia could afford the weapons package due to a fall in oil prices. In addition to payments the Saudis are still making to the U.S. for the $112 billion in arms, the Obama administration brokered. Echoing the Brookings report, NPR shows the $250 billion in commercial investment also announced at the time. Also, non-binding preliminary proposals and claims faulty accounting, including doubling the amount of one investment and adding one announced last October. 
with the Japanese company SoftBank. The White House. Oh man! Look so at all that money. Saudi Arabia. Uh, we basically have a bunch of IOU agreements with Saudi Arabia, and if we uh, are good buddies and we do all of their bidding. We will get that money eventually, which would be good for Donald Trump, be good for his presidency to make everything great again. And so it has put us in an awkward position in a spat between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Donald Trump has claimed Qatar is backing terrorists on a high level as the diplomatic scandal surrounding Qatar and its neighboring Gulf states deepens further. Have you heard any rumorings about this, about our, about our relationship with Qatar? And- yeah, I, it popped up on the radar for about a day, then it kind of yeah. disappeared and If quickly. you recall, one thing from this show that we've talked a lot about Qatar is in our coverage of ISIS. Caleb Mopin has more. Uh, speaking at his press conference with the president of Romania, Donald Trump spoke uh, very harshly against the state of Qatar in the Middle East. Uh, This is exactly uh, what he had to say, and it's somewhat similar to what was said by Secretary of State Tillerson earlier. Let's take a listen to what Donald Trump said about Qatar. The nation of Qatar, unfortunately, has historically been a funder of terrorism at a very high level. You know, if you're going to talk about um, historic funding... Uh, look no further than Saudi Arabia and the United States. So there is so much hypocrisy in these statements. It's amazing. And the fact that we are doing this because Saudi Arabia is going to pay us a bunch of money is disgusting. The time had come to call on Qatar to end its funding. They have to end that funding. They have to. Not us, though. We're good. We're good. We're going to keep sending CIA agents over there. Uh, We're going to keep funneling people through the borders of Turkey. And Saudi Arabia is going to keep shipping them the guns that we sell Saudi Arabia. So all that stuff's good. But but Qatar, God, guys, you know, if you could just stop it. They have to end that funding. Let's go over the facts about Qatar. Uh, The country is a monarchy. Uh, It has one army base, uh, one U.S. air base. So there's a large U.S. military presence in the country, roughly 3,500 troops from the United States there in total. Now, in response to the situation um, in which they've been having their disagreements uh, with countries throughout the region, um, at this point, they do have some allies. Now, the Islamic Republic of Iran has agreed to allow uh, Qatar to use their ports. Uh Uh, So Iran has come to their aid and is allowing them to use their seaports. Funny how when we placate our uh, classic allies who always get us in trouble, it seems to always play into the hands of Iran or China. Hmm. Funny how that works, Chase. Funny how that works. You know, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. Before we go any further. Yes, Chris. Hello, everybody. We should probably take a moment and uh, do a little community feedback. We've got some news, too, so. Yes. OMG, OMG, OMG. We have have some announcements to make. We have some important things to cover. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. This is a audience-funded show for obvious reasons. It's a people's history that we're making, and we're trying to grow the show even further. We want to double down on our work and our investment and on our output. We want to have a supplemental show, one, two shows, I'm not sure where we can get to, maybe an additional show. Honestly, the, this show, there's so much content we could do. I could do a daily show. If I didn't have other shows, I could easily do a daily show, but we could always expand. And we're trying to get to a new milestone, $4,000 at patreon.com slash unfilter. We didn't get a lot of extra patrons this week and we could really use your help. And 
I want to say if ever there was a time for a show like ours, it seems like now is that time. And we're working harder than ever, watching these feeds, watching all the news. It's a it's a full-time job just to do this show, and your support means a lot at patreon.com slash unfilter. And as part of that, we've got the Club 33. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the Club 33, as part of Club 33, not only do you get, a, you get a little message and chase a sack every single week that can get read here on the show, which is a perk, you also, from time to time, get new swag. Right. That's and, right. And uh, I, am, I am super excited to announce that uh, patreon.com slash unfilter members it, at the uh, Club 33 level will be getting brand new Oh Nancy swag. A sticker, hashtag Oh Nancy. I, I helped design that, by it's the nice way. nice, Chase. Good work. Good well, work. full credit goes to Ange, by the way. She asked my opinion uh, which ones that I liked. I, I said, this is the one you need to go with. Yeah. And if you want to help us get to uh, that new uh, goal so we can do supplemental unfilters, uh, we have a new way to make it a little bit easier. With the new swag, we're opening up Club 33 to 40... Wait, no. 45. Wait, no. What? 49. What? Wait, no. no. 52 members. We're opening up Club 33 now. It was like at uh, 42, and we're opening it up to uh, 52. Super win. So we're going to add 10 more slots to Club 33. If you want to help us get to our 4,000 goal and also get the new swag, the uh, hashtag Nancy sticker, die cut sticker, a uh, patron swag exclusive. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Mr. Chase, do we have anything in the sack this week? Well, so first off, uh, full disclosure, I uh, forgot to post a question this uh, All right, all right, all right. Well, I guess we're out then. We're out. No, 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 no. no, But I I do want to take this opportunity real quick uh, to touch on something that has happened in the community. And and that is that the uh, unfiltered subreddit is on vacation right now. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Exactly. We're not. Yeah, no. it's taking a little break. And the, a, a vacation. That's yeah, a way and, to put the, it. and the reason why it, it, it's it's really quite simple. Um, there's been a little bit of, I don't know, uh, back and forth between certain members. It's been getting heated and in there. It's been getting heated. There's people in there, and if you look at the tone and messaging of it's the uh, getting show, worse. of the uh, of the <laughs> show versus the subreddit, the subreddit, yeah. the subreddit is obviously obviously not serving the show at all no and you know there are there are a number of people uh, that have reached out to me on telegram and say hey you know i still want to contribute to the show what can i do because uh, the subreddit's gone uh, and it's it's just on pause we're i, I don't say we're, i don't think we're going to take it away uh but you could definitely reach out to producer matt if you have uh, links to the show that you think would be beneficial there are other ways to reach us and channels yeah including uh, our new irc yeah. if you go to irc.geekshed.net and your favorite irc client and then go in the unfiltered chat room you can idle in there because there's not like a ton of stuff in there and that's a great way to find out like when we're going live or when something's a special events happening things like that it's the it just go to irc.geekshed.net and then it's the unfilter room yeah so the the unfiltered subreddit is still there uh you can actually go look at it and look at all the posts and stuff we haven't uh you know restricted that capability no, we're however just, you, you know, can't thing is, right now the thing is is that uh the, the, as soon as that becomes more of a pain in the ass than it is value it's not like it's some big uh psychological moral evaluation we have to do we don't have time for that thing no, to be I, a pain in the ass i but, want 
respectful discussion. Yeah, something that adds I, value to the right. show or insights into our coverage. I do not want to see people fighting over the stuff like this. Because or different it, interest camps coming in trying to right. run people out or, or weigh the discussion and wonder, oh, that's I mean, such crap. Accusations and, like, you know, I mean, maybe we, it's we Reddit. People, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe, I don't maybe know. it's Reddit. Maybe we have to just find a different platform. It's, it's one of those situations where, you know, the, the community, you know, I thought it would self-regulate, right? I thought that, you know, if stories that people thought that were not contributive to the show, they would vote them down and they would be yeah, gone. It, what happens is just special interest and, and other, super passionate people. And, they, they just continue to flood it. And then what yeah. happens is it really pushes it, out. Those, it runs everybody out. Right. And, and so, then the votes don't matter anymore. And, then that, <laughs> and everything sucks. So yeah. we're going to put it on pause. We're going to kind of retool things a little bit behind the scenes and actually improve upon yeah. things as I well. Mean, the, honest, the, honest, the honest truth is, is we got better things like this show to focus on and I, so as soon as that's no longer a pain in our ass i don't want to break people up yeah. i i want us to come together yeah. because at the end of the day whether you're republican democrat independent libertarian or, or if the idea of different uh, political sides makes you sick a little bit we need to come together and realize we're all in it together no matter what we're all breathing the same air that's if right. you got a hot tip or a clip though you can email producer matt producer matt 42 at gmail.com gmail ProducerMatt42 at gmail.com if you want to email your hot tip or clip because we do appreciate that. And maybe that'd be – in fact, maybe that's just a better way to go. Yeah. That might have just been the way we should have done it. It's it's less complicated. It's simpler. Now, here's the, here's the good news is you could still comment. So what we can, st- what we, I think we stood should still do is have some is, people post. <sighs> well, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going there. I say like you know when Ange you know posts the the episode, uh, you know the oh, information. Okay. Sure. You know okay. there, there's a feedback thread there if you are not part of the Patreon. So we'll still let that. So yeah, we'll sure. we'll still have access yeah, and still yeah. things, but it's yeah. going to be a little bit more. You know, it's going right to be full now. of this week because people bitching about shutting down the subreddit. Well, it's not. I could I could take it all down. It's I know. It's I on could pod. burn it down. No, no. Just, I will burn it down. No, we're just going to wait. Okay. This line no further. We it must be drawn here. We'll let things simmer down. You know we we broke our little ships. Encroach in our in our territory, and we and we, we stand down, and we stand down. We fall back. We fall back. That's true. Uh, so yeah, patreon.com yes. slash unfilter and uh, club thirty three is now open to fifty two potential slots. Of course. 42 of which are already taken. Love that. So there's 10 more available slots. And if you sign up now and existing Club 33 patrons, you also get the die cut hashtag Oh, Nancy. And my sack's going to get bigger. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, it will. There'll be more potential uh, entrance to the sack. That's yes. that's very true. Yeah, I think that's some pretty cool swag, too. Something just for our supporters. I want to talk about sessions again for a bit in the high note. Oh, God, don't do we, this. That's how we roll. Uh, so j- you're triggering me. I know. This one really upsets me and makes me think that Jeff Sessions is a monster. And it's not getting a lot of coverage, so I think it's pretty important we talk about it here. Yeah. Only witness today. Attorney General Sessions apparently taking aim at states that have legalized the use of medical marijuana. As News 5's Bill Riles reports, Sessions is asking Congress to undo legislation that effectively protected those states and medical marijuana users. Even as a senator from Alabama, Jeff Sessions was easily the most vocal opponent of legalizing marijuana, medical or otherwise. Opponent. As attorney general, he's in a much better place to actually do something about it. So he goes to Congress and says, hey, I'd like to go after medical marijuana patients, everybody. I reject the idea that we're going to be better placed if we have more marijuana. That was Sessions' response to findings of the American Medical Association that opioid use is down in states like California that allow medical marijuana use. Sessions called marijuana. 
One of the the opioid use and the overdose on opioids is killing. I think the number somewhere is is it upwards of thirty thousand a year? Yeah, it, it is. Is it six? I can't remember. It's a it's a it's a dramatically bad number. It's a huge epidemic. It's driven by pharmaceuticals getting people hooked on uh, drugs and then them looking for alternatives once their prescription's been canceled. And then of course a bunch of other factors like violence and gangs and all these kind of things that play into a, a booming drug market. And so there has been some research that shows in places where they have legalized cannabis, and it's more dramatic where it's recreational, but it's still noticeable where it's just medical only. In those places, opioid addictions way down because people are able to make transitions. So it turns out that weed isn't really a gateway drug so much as it sort of is a stepping down drug. It's sort of a leveler out. It evens things out. It helps you smooth out a transition from a much harsher drug. And then because cannabis itself is not addictive in its chemical form, could be psychologically addictive, but it's not chemically addictive. It's not physically addictive because it may, so because of these factors, it makes a really great safe step down drug with very, very, very low um, side effects. So Jeff Sessions was presented with this information and he decided to say, well, I reject it. I reject this information, even though it's improving the lives of one of the largest epidemics in our country, really impacting American citizens and the middle class. I just I reject it. Reject the idea. That you can just reject an idea. You see, guys, you don't have to worry about facts or science or the human condition or the reality of what it's like to be in the middle class or people that are poor. You don't have to accept any of that. You can just reject an idea. Do something about it. I reject the idea that we're going to be better place if... That sounds really intellectual. He rejects that idea. Okay, well, that ends the conversation then. We have more marijuana. That was Sessions' response to findings of the American Medical Association that opioid use is down in states like California that allow medical marijuana use. Sessions called... Uh, live update from the chat room. 59 to 65,000 people died of overdoses this year. So now we're getting up there beyond car crashes. Just to put that in perspective, it's beyond murders... From guns it's beyond car crashes it's that's massive marijuana only slightly less awful than heroin also could you chase uh, could you google uh, how many deaths this year because of cannabis i'm just curious so yeah we have 65,000 because of opioids and jeff sessions is rejecting science that shows that abuse is down in states that have legalized cannabis marijuana only slightly less awful than heroin now in a letter sent to congressional leaders and obtained by mass roots a publicly traded technology company that focuses on the cannabis industry they did a little sleuthing themselves and good on them because there's no journalist doing this sleuthing it took this company uh the recent stuff i could find real quick by the way chris from uh, politico uh, right from from huff post but oh, oh, but, oh. but they but, <laughs> okay however however <laughs> right, yeah, hold sure. on okay, however fine, they fine. pulled the data from the centers of disease, disease control okay and this is a recent as of end of 2015 2016 with 23 states at that time uh legalization is it uh, 65 000? uh no uh you want to keep guessing uh, ten thousand. No, five thousand. No, um, two hundred. Two hundred. No. Really? A uh, hundred. No. For tw- across twenty four states. Uh, twenty three states. In in the recent years, legal in some form. Yeah. Uh, La- uh, the, the, uh, the previous year from tw- uh, you know twenty fifteen overdoses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, fatal, fatally fatal overdose. overdoses. Fatal overdose. Uh, Thirty two million. <laughs> Zero, Chris. 
Zero. Huh. Oh, by the way, uh, just to kind of put in perspective, a total of 17,465 people died from overdosing on heroin or cocaine. 25,000 died from overdosing on prescription drugs, including painkillers and tranquilizers like Valium, according to CDC fixtures. So these are legit numbers, hmm. not made up. But Jeff Sessions is uh, rejecting this information, and uh, I guess uh, that's I guess that's acceptable for the attorney general. So publicly traded technology company. That- oh yeah, so back to Mass Roots. So Mass Roots does a little bit of their own journalism to discover that Sessions has sneakily gone to Congress. Focuses on the cannabis industry. The Attorney General is asking Congress not to renew those protections known as the Rohrbacher Farr Amendment. You know, the ones that protect patients. It's a rider to the federal budget that prevents the Justice Department from using federal funds to stop states from enacting their own medical marijuana laws. It was first passed in 2014. Because of that, federal authorities have taken a largely hands-off approach for states that went through the motions to legalize medical marijuana use. It's unclear how congressional leaders will respond, but if the protections are not renewed, it could mean the Justice Department could pursue federal prosecutions against people and businesses in states like Florida. Jeff uh, cited a uh, scary uptick in uh, violent crime recently, and of course the uh, opioid epidemic, as reasons that he needed to be, the Justice Department needed to be uncuffed so it could go after uh, dirty medical marijuana and uh, really crank things down. Unbelievable. Rejecting ideas, rejecting findings is so anti-intellectual that it's it's a sad state of where we're at. And I thought uh, instead of you and I coming up and rebutting uh, Jeff, we could go to somebody who is considered um, a pothead, a real lazy son of a bitch, somebody who never got anything done, never accomplished anything, just sat around and smoked pot all the time. And I thought, why not go to them to get their opinion? Oh, okay. Um, well, some of that's true. They did sit around and smoke pot all the time, but the rest might be shit. It's your good friend. My buddy. Carl Sagan. Ah, cool. All over the country, there are people in terminal, having terminal cases of cancer or AIDS uh, who are given, for example, huge doses of chemotherapeutic agents, which force them to be uh, nauseous, to be unable to, to take food which then leads rapidly to their dwindling away because they can't eat. Now, it's well established that marijuana counteracts this nausea. And, uh, and in the few cases where, where it's permitted, remarkable, or which it's done illegally, uh, remarkable benefits accrue. Is it rational to forbid patients who are dying from taking marijuana as a palliative to permit them to gain body weight and to get some food down. It seems madness to say we're worried that they're going to become addicted to marijuana. There's no evidence, whatever, that it's an addictive drug, but even if it were, these people are dying. What are we saving them from? So that's an example of a highly irrational uh, official government position uh, on at least some parts of drugs. We could argue, you know, case by case, molecule by molecule, but at least some parts of it are clearly irrational. Oof. Here, here. Hey, if you guys want to be a part of this show and you don't want to be a patron, you can always follow the network on Twitter at Jupiter Signal. You can also follow that guy over there, Mr. Chris Fisher at Chris LAS. What about yourself, buddy? You can follow me on Twitter at Nunes, N U N E S. And also follow Geek Gamer TV on Twitter, Shut on your Twitch. Mouth. 
ggtvlive.com. Nice, buddy. So much nice. good stuff. Check out Linux Action News, new show from the network, User Air, a really uh. great show, and Ask Noah, which is killing it. New content over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Jupiterbroadcasting.com is also where you'll find our calendar. That's where we're live. You get our live time in your local time zone. The robots do the math for you. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. ProducerMap42 at gmail.com for your hot tips and links and clips. Don't necessarily include the attachment. Just send them a link to it. Yeah, yeah. You can download you don't, it. You don't have to give them. You don't got to fill the, his box. Yeah, yeah, please don't. And then uh, don't go anywhere because the overtime's coming up. It's a segment that is uh, dedicated to our patrons. And it's got some... It's got some Would gems. You say it's, it's got, got some, some good, tasty nuggets it's got in there. Some, oh man, like some good ones with maybe some Szechuan dipping sauce, dude. Real good stuff. Tastes good. Thank you, everybody, for tuning this week's episode of the Unfilter Program. I hope you'll just tune in for two forty one next week. We keep doing this damn thing every single week. If you're leaving now and not sticking around for the overtime, one last hot tip for you: Unfilter's got a new IRC room. Join it and uh, participate in the conversation and find out when we're live. And we'll see you right back here next, next week. Oh yeah. Required. Overtime is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Security authorization accepted. Thank you to our new patrons this week who made this segment possible. Ingun. Oh man, I know I'm getting these two right. <laughs> Ordura, John, FS, and Jackson. Thank you for helping us get closer to our multi-week Unfilter. Patreon.com slash unfilter is where you go to support this show. This segment is dedicated to you, and we start, like most weeks, with our own Nancy segment. So this is uh, your good friend, your buddy, Nancy Pelosi. Here she is on the Morning Joes, basically shitting all over Donald Trump's mental health. Um, besides telling the president not to tweet, if he came to you and said, I've got this problem with Russia, all these investigations, I really do want to get back to the people's business, what, what could he do? What would you advise him to do? What would I have advised him to do? Go to sleep. Yeah. Get some sleep. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I could advise that to you too, Nancy. This entire segment is dedicated to your mental lapses. Bring yourself to a place where their synapses are working. You said that to him directly? I agree with you completely. <laughs> of course you do, Mika. You said that it. to him? Well, when he called me the night of the Syria invasion, not to... The what? The Syria what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Syria what? When he called me the night of the Syria invasion, not... The what? I'm sorry. The night of the Syria invasion, not... Oh, I think because it sounded like you said invasion um, when it was missiles. Um, uh, uh, is there, do you know something I don't know? Because it sounds like you said invasion. You're not having a senior moment, are you, Nancy? It is a Syria invasion, not to go into the conversation, was late at night, like at midnight, well after it was all finished. You know, he stays up late, guys. He was going on and on. I said, well, it was like midnight. And I said, you know, he stays up really late, guys. Why don't you go to sleep? I- Why don't you go to sleep? You know, she probably, they probably had a nice conversation because he had the courtesy to call her to inform her about a military strike in Syria so that way she knew what the hell was going on when she'd step out in front of the press tomorrow. And then at the end of the conversation, she probably said, all right, you should probably go to bed now, sir.
on and on. I said, well, it was like midnight. And I said, why don't you go to sleep? I think that, um, I think there's something not, uh, uh, more sleep might be a solution for him. After that, she said she hoped that he had um, irreparable damage. And then she said, I mean, I mean, repairable damage to whatever was wrong with his brain. And then just moments after that, she goes out to hold her daily press conference and brags about her fantastic performance on live television. What I did say this morning, in case you missed me, (laughs) you know, because I'm a really big deal and I was on Morning Joe. What I did say this morning, in case you missed me on TV is... Oh, is she eight years old? That at least, what the hell? What I did say this morning, in case you missed me on TV, is follow this. Now, this was early this morning, and in light of events that have come forth since. I said to him that New Yorkers have said to me, those who've had business dealings with him. With who? He operates this way. Who does? First, he tries to charm you. President Bush tries to charm you. I'm sorry, who are we talking about again? To charm you. President Bush tries to charm you. Oh, um, who? I'm sorry, who is that? To charm you. President Bush tries to charm you. You know, this is like the seventh time you've done this. If that doesn't work, he tries to bully you. Do you hear somebody in the background? Somebody says, Trump. Hey, hey, Trump. Tries to charm you. If that doesn't work, he tries to bully you. If that doesn't work, he walks away from the deal. Now, she's really proud of herself because she hears all the cameras going off. And so then she tries to repeat the hand motion again for the cameras. The thing is, they're not taking pictures of her hand motions. They're taking pictures of the fact that she's such a dumb shit, she keeps saying Bush. Because in her mind, at the core of it, it's just Democrats versus Republicans. And it doesn't matter if it was Romney in office. It doesn't matter if it's Rubio in office. It doesn't matter if it's Bush Jeb in office. It doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump. It's Democrats versus Republicans. And so whatever face and whatever story and whatever narrative they got to put on top of it to make it about it. So this is incredible. So they start taking pictures and she gets all excited because she thinks they're taking pictures of her great hand gestures about these four-step Trump negotiation tactics. She's really quite happy about it. In reality, they're taking pictures of the fact that she has dementia. First, he tries to charm you. President Bush tries to charm you. If that doesn't work... He tries to bully you. If that doesn't... See, then the pictures start, and she's like, oh, this is working. doesn't work, he walks away from the deal. Look how excited she is, because she's really, she really thinks she's getting them. And if that doesn't work, he sues you. <laughs> it's, so uh, she goes on, kind of doubles down on it again, because she thinks that they're really liking it. And meanwhile, she's just completely unaware of the mistake she's made until an aide walks up and slips her a piece of paper. ...to where that is. So I would hope that we could work in a bipartisan way. Now... Again, indicative of what's going on in the administration. You have the Secretary of the Treasury saying they want a clean clean debt ceiling. I don't know why the C-SPAN camera operator panned out at this moment. Maybe he saw the aide walking. And the aide is trying to be as invisible as possible because when the camera set, when the camera first started, when the shot first started, it was in tight. Like you wouldn't have seen her really walking up. You would have just seen her arm. But thankfully, thankfully, for some reason, the cameraman pans out right at the best moment possible so that we can see Nancy Pelosi's young aide walking up with a piece of paper. In the administration, you have the Secretary of the Treasury saying they want a clean, clean debt ceiling. Oh, I said that President Bush, I'm sorry, I meant to say. Oh, here we go. Now, this is how she always covers for it. It's hard for me to say it. You know? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because it's just so bad. 
That's always your go-to line. That's good. Just like Hillary always says that it's allergies. Poor President Bush, I apologize. <laughs> oh, poor Bush. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, let's stop picking on Nancy. She's having a hard time. Maxine Waters got a lot of attention. Now, this was mostly in the written press. But your buddy Chris actually found a clip of it. I couldn't believe it because nobody nobody has a clip of it. So I'm pretty happy about this. Now, here's the problem. I didn't get the very, very best part. I tried. But the very, very, very best part, you'll have to use your imagination. Picture Maxine Waters in L.A. at a Pride speech rushing the stage to get the word out about something vitally important for the people. They're pleased because they don't know what to make of this man in Washington, D.C. who calls himself president of the United States. Not my president. No. He's not my president. He's not your president. No. He's not your president. Oh, shit. She's getting fired up, guys. Oh, shit. And he thinks he can It's like she's completely unaware there's a microphone there. Because it, it was set for her good buddy, Adam Schiff. Representative Schiff is up there. Now he's just sort of nodding along because she nudges him out of the way. And Schiff is now on the edge of the camera frame with uh, some rainbow t-shirt on. Looking like a, a total dummy, just looking like the biggest dummy, while Maxine shouts into the general air, while the microphone is 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 uh, pointed up above her face because, well, Schiff's taller than her. You deny, you disrespect, and you will find that there are people who have the courage to organize and to take back whatever needs to be taken back. Schiff, by the way, leading one of the Russian, well, not leading, co-chair of one of the Russia investigations. Totally impartial, though. We resist this president. That's right. Because he stands for the worst of everything. And guess what? I know that people may not quite be ready. I know that some are a little hesitant. That's right. I know that some are saying, I'm not so sure, Maxine. I don't know, Maxine. What you're saying is the right thing to say. You're fucking crazy. Impeach 45. What? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I am shocked by this. Impeach 45. Whoa. That's right. Impeach 45! Impeach 45! I love you all. What? And I know that we're going to take our country back from him. I know that you have the strength. I know that you have the courage. And I know that each of you understand. 
stay woke. In page 45, stay woke. Stay woke. <laughs> you know, she really is just the same coin. She's the other side of the same coin as Trump. Similar language, similar energy, just different agenda. It's hard to keep track sometimes with these agendas, especially when it comes to fired FBI director James Comey. Sometimes it seems like the Democrats love him. Sometimes it seems like the Democrats hate him. I think they're back in love again. Well, listen, I, there's no question that many of us, myself included, have questioned James Comey's judgment. Mr. Comey, I just want you to know that I have great respect for you. He is a professional law enforcement officer at the highest degree. What I saw uh, was a seasoned senior former federal law enforcement leader, former prosecutor, uh, who was very measured. He spoke from the heart. He spoke what he believed was the truth. To speak candidly and openly to the Senate and to the American people. You've been a straight shooter with this committee and have been willing to speak truth to power. Now, here's the question. You're big, you're strong. I do know Jim Comey and I trust him. Mr. Comey's credibility, he has a great deal of credibility. He has the credentials, uh, the credentials that give him credibility. Now, he's, he has the strength, he has the ability, and I know that you're a man of strength and integrity. Uh, but I have not questioned James Comey's penchant to tell the truth. I think he showed his integrity at its best. And uh, talk about Jim Comey, he's one of the most honest men I've ever met. The scales are, are very strong in favor of his integrity. I don't think there's any history of James Comey not being able to tell the truth, not having a commitment to telling the truth. I think that's really important, his integrity. And I just kept thinking, for Jim Comey, it's all about the law and the yeah. rules. But I've never had any reason question your integrity, your expertise, or your intelligence. I think he's been a very good FBI director. Who can possibly replace him? Who? <laughs> oh, man. nauseous. Doesn't sound to me like he was too nauseated by it. But I think it was really a bad thing to do. And really, for me, a very disappointing thing for him to yeah, do. Have You know, Judge Janine, I, I can only take so much of her, but uh, your buddy Chris watches all things so you don't have to. And every now and then, you can find yourself a tasty catfish. That's a, that's a good meme. <laughs> the James Comey memes are strong this week. And Judge Janine, she has her opinion about Comey, too. Penalty for being weak. Well, you know what I think up. is so amazing about this is that Jim Comey comes across as so... The moment you realize, that's not on my audio, the moment you realize... That Jim Comey comes across as someone who is so wily and so... That moment you realize your unfiltered show has better audio quality than the Fox News studio. Listen to this. Hold on. I'm going to pull down. Listen to this. You hear that? Nothing. 
Nothing. All right, now let's go back to your Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends. Comes across as someone who is so wily and so calculating. He's a predator. He makes a decision that the president is going to lie to him before he even has his first meeting. And so he decides that he's going to start recording or memorizing what was said in their conversations. And then he gets to the point where he says, you know what, I'm going to leak this stuff now. Why is he so comfortable leaking? What is it about his his history, his background as a prosecutor. So you might be wondering at this point, and I hope it's not distracting you now that I called it out. So I'm going to just talk about it one more time to get you to focus because she's about to get into some good points. And trust me, it's sometimes it's difficult, but it's worth it. I think she, she raises some legitimate questions. What is likely happening, that buzz, I know, I'm sorry, guys. The chat room is like giving me a hard time. <clears throat> what is likely happening is they have... Uh, a lot of different mics in this studio, and they probably have a pot line open. That's one of the mic lines open that is like disconnected or touching something. And so it's just got a ton of noise on it, and they're not monitoring the audio properly. This, by the way, happens – oh, geez, a lot. This happens a lot in live broadcast. It's – in fact um, – we probably misrepresented how often it happens on this show because I generally toss clips when they have a lot of uh, like a like, you know, a ground loop noise or some sort of weird fan noise because I don't want my show to sound bad. So I, I usually toss the clips. But again, she's about to make some good points. So I think it's worth playing it, even though it is kind of distracting. And I apologize. And what I would want to know is, has, is he the leaker? Is he the guy who was so comfortable? And the answer to why he didn't leak it himself about the seagulls on the beach and my wife was hogwash. Yeah. It was a distraction. And you know what? He did the same thing just now with the senator. What he said basically was, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. Well, that doesn't answer the question as to why but someone else was asked. Does it asked. matter who he leaked it to? Because Daniel Richmond isn't just a buddy. Yeah, listen to this. I've been talking about this. This guy is a liberal guy. Look, he worked with him in the United States. He He worked with him in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was the appellate attorney there. You develop a very close relationship, I know, from being DA with my appellate people. Now, I actually buy that. Okay? You talk to them about serious issues. But the fact that he was so comfortable that he did this to a liberal professor, and it's linked to the... It tells me that he's been, this isn't the first time that the guy's leaked. It tells me he's a predator. He was looking to take Donald down, or the president down, I'm excuse sorry, me. And what he wanted to do was preserve himself. Now, why the point I, the point I want to make is I don't think this is the first time Comey leaked. I mean, I, I know I've made my case, but I don't think this is the first time he's leaked. And I think the more you have an understanding of how Washington works, about how the different roles in Washington work, the more obvious it seems that he's likely been a leaker for a while now. Now, now I, I want to talk about Russia for a second. We, we so often talk about Russia in the context of how they're the big boogeyman. They're the other big world power. They have nukes, you know. And Putin, Putin is, is strong. Putin is a man of mystery. But Russia in reality, well, it, and I don't mean to sound um, hmm, like, like some sort of crazy... Uh, uh, Budweiser drunk, uh, uh, bald eagle loving uh, America uh, smoking um, patriot here, but nobody matches the United States in terms of power, military power. Natural resources are a particular advantage to the United States. Not only do we have the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans on both ends of us, so it's not like ISIS can just get in a boat and come over here. Uh, we have total control and visibility over the air. We have 
friendly relationships with Mexico and Canada. I mean, the United States, when people say, why, why is the United States so special? I think it's this geological advantage that we have. We have a big nation with tons of great resources. We're protected because we have huge bodies of water on either major side of us, to the right and to the left. And we have an unmatched military power. But the media would have you believe that Russia is right up there with us. Russia is our counterpunch. Whatever we can punch, Russia can punch right back. And so this plays into the Russia hacking narratives. This plays into the Putin boogeyman story. In reality, Russia really is a third-rate power, like Obama said it, said it was. They have nukes, but that's about it. Surrounding Russia is the prevailing belief that it's in some way equal in power to the U.S. or even so much a threat. Though Russia is not a trifling matter, the recent rise in Russophobia is unwarranted given that Russia's power is largely a mirage. The reality is that Russia is only considered a world power because of their nuclear capabilities. At the helm of this nuclear arsenal is a blowfish of a KGB master manipulator who projects an undeserved veneer of influence and power. What's not widely known is that Russia is plagued with many crippling issues. They're struck with massive health crises, a population in freefall, a sickly economy, and an antiquated military. Not to mention they're a country totally isolated, offering no real incentive for any nation to come to their defense in a world conflict. Yeah. So and 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 of course they have nukes, but what kind of a victory is that if you uh, nuke half the planet. That's no victory. So the, their military power, while formidable and destructive, isn't going to really lead them into a victory or a war that they want to engage in. And the reality is they really have thousands of ghost villages, quote unquote. Just a three hour drive from sparkling Moscow, this rutted road leads to what feels like another world. A ghost village frozen in time. No public transportation, no hospitals, not much of anything or anyone. Tatiana Vasilyevna is one of the few villagers still here, chopping wood to survive the freezing temperatures. The young have all left for the cities, she says. There's no hope here, she tells me, no future. A stark contrast with the Kremlin's carefully choreographed image of a mighty Russia. Yep. According to the latest census, 20,000 villages are completely abandoned. The most impressive thing about the Russian people is their ability to survive. Uh, and the image that gets portrayed in the Western media and by Putin is completely inaccurate. It's, it's like all of the bullcrap you learn in school about the United States and then you discover that there's horrible gun rate murders and drug addictions and that there's pharmaceutical lobbyists and then you discover there's all these horrible things about the United States. It's similar to this. We see all of the highlight, the bullet point things, but the reality of Russia is, and you can learn more if you follow certain people on YouTube. There's some interesting vloggers and there's interesting documentaries. There is a intense poverty throughout most of Russia. Those that live in the major cities uh, experience a more Western-style lifestyle, but uh, you go even just 30 miles outside those major cities, and it's poverty uh, that makes a third world look rich. Another 36,000 have fewer than 10 residents. The government last year said nearly 20 million Russians live below the poverty line on less than $139 a month. It wasn't always like this. In the Soviet era, most villagers worked on huge collective farms. Life wasn't easy, but the government provided for the people. All of that came to an end when the Soviet Union collapsed. 
areas like this never recovered. Are they just using the Nadezhda. shit out of it? If you're watching the video version of this uh, NBC report, uh, I swear to God, like they're vlogging here. This 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 reporter has gone out to Russia and brought a cameraman and a DJI Phantom 4, and apparently they are now vlogging from Russia. Covered. Nadezhda, whose name translates to hope, has little of it left. <laughs> oh my it would be God. so good to live like before, she tells me. Under communism, there were plenty of jobs and plenty to eat. Well, funny how that is. Huh? So this is what you so this is what life is like after your government collapses. Pay attention, everybody. Today, she collects cranberries to sell on the side of the road. Even after the government has rebuilt itself, it's become a player on the world stage. It has a celebrity president. You can still be collecting and selling cranberries. There are few customers and many hungry nights. But does she blame the government or even sanctions? Now, what's interesting and kind of counter-narrative to this entire discussion is she actually, while uh, maybe you might judge it, lives, seems to live in a fairly practical little domicile here. And she has a nice all-in-one washer and dryer. So this woman's living facilities right here is Better than your here, your humble host living facilities. I don't have a washer and dryer. I covet this woman's washer and dryer all in one unit. And isn't the all in one the perfect machine? Because you put it in there and it washes and it dries and you never have to move it. In some ways, I envy her. Even sanctions. A patriotic talking point is the response. Our leaders, she says, are trying to provide. Nearby, I meet Sasha, the village poet who has no qualms about pointing the finger of blame. And this is where you can tell they're building a narrative for you. The village poet? The village poet, really? Is this 1742? Is it... The village poet, they have microwaves and all-in-one washer and dryers and cars and phones. The, the village poet, you sons of bitches. You sons of bitches that are sitting here painting a picture for me while I'm sitting there cramming popcorn or potato chips down my fucking mouth watching your NBC report. This is Hollywood storytelling now. Enjoy, everybody. Nearby, I meet Sasha, the village poet who has no qualms about pointing the finger of blame. The state can change things if it wants to, he says. But those at the top would never do that. They don't know how. As for that image of Russia as a military superpower, he says the West has no need to fear. Russia is no more of a threat than my socks, he jokes. Now, um, I don't necessarily disagree. In fact, that's why I'm playing this clip to begin with. But um, this is... Uh, this isn't a vlog, okay? This isn't uh, this isn't a YouTube vlog. This isn't a podcast. This is NBC News. This, they're owned by GM, okay? They are. Do you understand what I'm saying when I talk about the difference of scale here? They could talk to just about anybody. If Megyn Kelly wants to talk to Vladimir Putin, Megyn Kelly gets to talk to Vladimir Putin. They're talking to the fucking village idiot. Some guy who has no position of power. He has no authority. He has no political office. And they're just taking his word for it, and they're reporting on it. Like, this is the de facto way things are. This is essentially a man-on-the-street interview. It represents a point of view, <laughs> but it's such shit. But it does make the point. Russia's no threat to the United States.
Alleged Russian hacking is again hitting the headlines with a lot of coverage claiming that Kremlin-linked hackers have been trying to sow divisions in the Middle East by planting fake articles in the Qatari media. Jacqueline Vuga has the story. Long-running tensions in the Middle East have seen Saudi Arabia and its neighbors cut ties with Qatar. Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Egypt and the UAE have all cut diplomatic ties with Qatar. Here are the options for this latest fallout. So among other things, we're hearing that these five countries are saying Qatar is too extremist, that that it's been sponsoring terrorism. Terrorism? Check. Qatar shares uh, a large natural gas field with Iran. I believe it's the biggest in uh, the region, if not the world. States that don't like Iran saying Qatar is wrong for having ties with Iran. Check. Cornelia Dominic Wankhorn pointing out that Donald Trump almost uh, taking credit for that. Is it any coincidence that this blockade and this dropping of diplomatic ties comes only a matter of days after he visited Saudi Arabia? And Donald Trump's foreign policies are involved as well, which brings up another issue. Russian hackers were behind a cyber breach against (laughs) Qatar's state news agency. The hackers planted a false news report friendly to Iran and critical of President Donald Trump. Ah, here we go. Russian hackers. Check. Now, of course, Herty has an axe to grind here, but it is so formulaic, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Aren't you kind of embarrassed? According to CNN, Russian hackers planted a fake news report on Qatar's state news agency in an effort to cause rifts between the U.S. and its allies. Yeah, so fake news is what's causing this rift. Fake news. Like, you know what I love about it, too? As if as if both governments operate off of the fine reporting of the New York Times and CNN. Or RT, right? Like, that's that's what they use for their canonical source of truth. And whatever they report, well, fuck, we're going to go with that. And we're going to shift our entire strategic policy based on the reporting of the New York Times. You know, screw our intelligence agencies and our internal sources of information and our diplomatic contacts and the phone calls that we're making. Screw all of that information. And this spiraled into more accusations based on unnamed sources and little to no evidence. Russia's foreign minister dismissed the claims and slammed the news outlet. CNN, like other media outlets, which don't really deserve to be called mass media, are a means of disinformation. They're always waiting for some stinker of a story or scandal to automatically blame it without any evidence on Russia. God, you know, I wish our government officials talked like I guess Trump kind of does, but not really anymore. Not not really anymore. When he was a candidate, he did stinker and don't be don't shouldn't be called mass media. Man, that's gold. Russian hackers or somebody else connected to the Russian Federation. The finger of blame is constantly pointed at Russia. The finger of blame, guys. And sometimes it's just outrageous. Take, for example, this interview with former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. The historical practices Uh of the Russians. Sure, and every other nation, China, Iran, Germany. France, who are typically uh, almost uh, genetically driven, almost genetically driven, as if as if everyone's looking out for their best interests to co-opt, penetrate. I'm sorry, what? At this point, Moscow has been singled out so often. The idea that Russia is a threat may have become a part of the media's DNA. Oh, not really that good of a burn. So much of their reporting is anonymous sources. So much of their reporting subsequently turns out to be wrong. Um, And, you know, so much obvious evidence is out there that so far we've seen no evidence of actual collusion. 
That's true. So F Force is, uh, but aside from reporting of CNN, New York Times, etc., etc., Washington Post, you could throw them in there. CNN uh, is sort of generally reporting on what the Washington Post and New York Times report. He says, uh, when then is our intelligence agency saying the exact same thing? Why then? Oh, why then? Well, let's start right there. So uh, during the campaign, there was the meme of, will 17 intelligence agencies believe this to be true? But it's not actually 17. It turned out to be three. And it was Homeland Security and the CIA that were sure about it. And then the NSA, who didn't want to comment on how sure they were about the evidence. It turned out to be three. Now... What you have to ask yourself is, what is it they are sure of? Russian involvement in trying to influence the election? Seems like that's 100%. You can say, regardless of what, if it's the DHS, if you're the NSA, 100% confident that the Russians tried to influence the election. That's, that's a given. Every nation did that. Canada did that. Mexico did that. You understand. You did that if you voted. Or you caucused. You answered a poll. You did it, too. So they should probably investigate you. Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, they influenced the election. Bernie Sanders, that son of a bitch. There's a lot of influence going around. So you have to ask yourself, what is the thing that the NSA and the DHS and the CIA were willing to go on the record and say they saw and I, they, they weren't clear in that report. We've talked about it in previous shows. Uh, but I, I think it is. They're willing to say, yes, there was some sort of involvement. Where I draw the line is I don't buy that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. I think that's a narrative of the loser. I don't buy that particular story. And I especially don't buy that John Podesta was specifically targeted way before Donald Trump was the candidate of the general election. And then that information was sat on until they could coordinate with the Trump campaign to better target information release via WikiLeaks. That is the... That has got to be the biggest pile of conspiracy bacon. That is rough, man. That is some really fucking rough conspiracy bullshit right there. That is a lot of stretching. Because you are shitting on the legacy and purpose of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. You're writing everything off that they've released, even about the Russian government, about Iran, about Qatar, about Saudi Arabia. You're writing all of that off. You're accepting the findings of a contractor who was hired for the DNC on behalf of the DNC to make it look like they were abused. The FBI was never allowed to examine the DNC servers, and so you are choosing to ignore that particularly uncomfortable fact that's described as cognitive dissonance, so now we are engaging in cognitive dissonance. That's a major, major red flag for me right there. But the thing that I just really can't get around is the fact that John Podesta was fished with really basic, basic things. It could be anyone. Russia, I completely accept as a possibility, but it could have been anyone. So we've got to get some really good concrete evidence there. That's where things have got to start. And until we get the FBI and let them investigate that server, until we get more information about what happened there, I don't feel like anybody can be attributed to this. And then, of course, the damn Vault 7 leaks. Oh, 
almost perfectly timed to demonstrate how the CIA can make their attack tools look like any other government's attack tools. Son of a bitch if that didn't throw a wrench in things. And then the final problem that I have is the evidence that has been presented publicly doesn't hold up. And this is an area where perhaps I have a bit of a unique perspective, and so it is easier for me to come to this conclusion than the general audience. And that is the quote-unquote fingerprints, code, and IP addresses, and other evidence that CrowdStrike, that the DNC, and others have made publicly available doesn't hold up. I was a hired contractor to do penetration testing. And I did it for large networks, hospitals, that were under HIPAA. I did it for the largest independent bank in Washington State, who was under FDIC regulation for their security. And my report, any flaws that I found in my report, were reviewed by the FDIC. And the bank had a timeline to fix them. And the more I found, the more money I made. So let me tell you, as somebody who was a hired hitman to do penetration testing on networks, the evidence that has been presented publicly doesn't hold up at all. Not even like a little bit. So it is with some of that background, reviewing the evidence myself, I've read the reports, I've read the PDFs that have made available, I've watched all of the testimony. It doesn't hold up. And I think part of the problem is it's confusing. I mean, you see even John McCain getting confused. It generally is complicated in just a general sense. It's a complicated story. And so you can you can mix up Hillary's email server with Russia hacking the DNC and Judicial Watch's suing and freedom information requests. And many of the leaks, many of the leaks. I'm going to say it one more time because you really got to hear this. Many of the quote-unquote leaks of Hillary's emails that are being attributed to Russians actually came from Judicial Watch. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google search Judicial Watch, Judicial Watch, Hillary Clinton emails. Judicial Watch, Hillary Clinton emails. Judicial Watch, Hillary Clinton emails. Google search that. They, through actual legal means, got access to a ton of emails via the State Department. And that has nothing to do with Russia, has nothing to do with WikiLeaks, and it's a fact that she just tries to whitewash away. See, there's it's confusing. It's hard to follow because there's the email hack, there's the leaks, there's the phishing of John Podesta, there's Trump campaign collusion supposedly with Michael Flynn, and then there's the actual possibility that as a nation, Russia attempted to represent their best interest and influence the election. And they may have gone too far in doing so. Those are all separate things. It's very hard to keep track of it all, and so it generally gets muddied in the conversation.
conclusion that the president has reached that there was no evidence of collusion? You know, we haven't seen any of that whatsoever, George. Uh, we've been looking and, and showing everything that uh, they possibly have. Uh, that has not led to that. Uh, we have ultimate, uh, all of us have the utmost respect for uh, Bob Mueller, both on the Democrat and Republican side. I believe he's going to do his job thoroughly. Uh, we will accept his recommendation and path for, pathway forward. And I think that's extremely important that we all agree this is the right person, the right time to do this type of work. So no evidence of collusion still. Almost eight months into the investigation. <laughs> this is uh, this is an interesting time we live in. Now let's take a minute and uh, let's talk about Trump's big plan. And uh, Fox News, <laughs> they're all in on it. Meanwhile, President Trump has reportedly pitched Republican leaders on a solar panel border wall with Mexico. Hmm. Sounds like a win-win, right? Well, green energy... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to hear that again. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, President Trump has reportedly pitched Republican leaders on a solar panel border wall with... Solar frickin' roadways, guys? Mexico. Hmm. Sounds like a win-win, right? Well, green energy and keeping our borders safe at the same time. Hard to go wrong with that. Bruce Blakeman is a principal with the Sustainable Technology, Inc. His company submitted a blueprint design for solar panels on the border wall and he joins us live here in studio f good morning to you hi steve this is genius um (laughs) this is a stupid fucking idea and i'll tell you what it was at this moment i realized oh okay so legitimately trump never intends to build a border wall uh i got it wouldn't i love it wouldn't i love it man if this thing if you could somehow build a border wall built out of solar panels that would generate enough power that it would pay for itself and hey i've heard it's sunny down there too what could go wrong? So now the question becomes, how is Trump going to play this out? So I'm, I'm grasping at straws to understand how the Democrats are going to push this Russia story till 2018. How the hell are they going to do that? How are the Democrats going to be able to milk this thing? And, and I can see them lining up a few posts, getting things sort of lined, getting testimony on the record saying we're just getting started. I can kind of see where they're going. And I see them building a foundation to really harp on this Russia stuff until 2018. It makes sense to me. Trump, though, he's already asking to get he's already asking for people to raise funds to get reelected. He already is sending out emails asking people to help him get reelected. He's got a campaign staff. How is he going to get reelected if he doesn't build that border wall? How's that going to happen? How is he going to get reelected if they don't build that border wall? And now it's a solar border wall. Well, we got together a group of creative people, designers, engineers, homeland security experts, finance people, and we were kicking around the idea, how do you get that border barrier built, and can't there be a generating uh, of revenue from that border barrier? And one of the engineers said, let's put solar on it. And he, he made a brilliant design. Right, because essentially by being a power generating station, the wall would offset the cost of the wall. It would defray the cost of the wall by 40 million to 400 million dollars annually, depending on how much per megawatt hour the market was. Okay, so we're looking at one of the designs right here. Explain what we're looking at. Well, we're looking at a uh, a beautiful uh, rendition of the border barrier with the solar component. As you can see, 
It's, it's mesh, it's steel mesh. You can see through it. There's no uh, graffiti that can be put on it. No. And it has a solar gathering component. It's really great. It can generate a tremendous amount of megawatt hours. Two sure. million. A solar gathering component, guys. Megawatt hours per year. Unbelievable. And for it to go out like that and up like that, it would be hard to climb over. Exactly. Our engineers took a look at everything. They looked at the specifications, the security needs, and the, the solar gathering uh, materials that would be required. And Look at that salesman right there. That's the face of a salesman, everybody. Looking you right in the camera. The accumulation of his entire career. This very moment. Be proud. <laughs> Never going to happen. I wish it would, man. I wish it would. Never going to happen. So there's kissing up to the boss, and then there's this. President Trump held his first official cabinet meeting, and it turned into a rather bizarre love fest. The president's top brass lavishing praise one after another on him, seemingly trying to out-praise each other. Listen. Thank you, Mr. President, and uh, just the greatest privilege of my life. And it's to serve as, as vice president to a president who's keeping his word to the American people. Mr. President, uh, my uh, privilege to be here, uh, deeply honored, and I want to thank you for keeping your commitment to the American workers. Mr. President, uh, what an incredible honor it is to, to uh, lead the Department of Health and Human Services at this pivotal time under your leadership. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the, the privilege that you've given me and the leadership that you've shown. Mr. President, thank you for the honor to serve the country. It's a great privilege you've given me. On behalf of the entire senior staff around you, Mr. President, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to serve your agenda wow. and the American people. If you'll excuse me, I have to shower now. Now, you know, it's funny. Uh, yeah. They left out the best one. They cut right before the very, very, they cut right out. They cut just before the best one. Uh, but uh, don't worry, I got it for you. People and we're continuing to work very hard every day to accomplish those goals. It's honor to serve as your CIA director. Uh, it's a, this is uh, Pompeii. An incredible privilege to lead the men and women are providing intelligence so that we can do the national security mission. And in the finest tradition to say, I'm not going to say a damn thing in front of the media. Information to the people. <laughs> Fuck the people. Yeah, that was weird. That was a circle jerk, man. That was weird. You know, Rusted in the chat room points out that perhaps Trump can get away without building a wall. Obama got away without shutting down Gitmo and still got reelected. Now, The View continues to attempt to get involved with political discussion. But it really ends up just being a showcase of reverse sexism. Tell me if you notice this. That, because that they should do, they should do a, a, a version of Romeo and Juliet with Trump and Putin. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is uh, the view here, and uh, Jay, this is Joy, and uh, Joy Behar here makes her uh, her first crack. She look she looks she's looking down at her table there, and she's reading her notes. She's got a series of notes in front of her, including her cell phone, and on there it's a make gay joke about uh, Trump and Putin. Go ahead and check that off. A, a, a version of Romeo and Juliet with Trump and Putin. <laughs> uh, did you write that? Uh, what if Hillary had won? And Hillary was doing something with Angela Merkel. 
Would it be inappropriate for, say, Sean Hannity to make a joke about uh, Hillary Clinton and Angela Merkel fucking? Because something tells me that would be considered extremely inappropriate. But here on The View, Putin and Trump fucking, that's totally fine. Juliet with Trump and Putin. <laughs> I would like that. But they do, they do contemporize. And then she tries to legitimize it. Of course, one of the co-hosts like, oh, shit, this, we, just, we just were extremely sexist. Let me try to legitimize this. See, now, that, would, that I would go to say. I'd like to know how much, first of all, Rens Priebus. Rens Priebus, it says it's a blessing. It's a blessing. How much self-tanner does he have on his lips? <laughs> so is she implying that she's been sucking Trump's dick? Is she implying that he's been kissing Trump? Again. It seems like if Hillary Clinton had won and uh, Uma Abedin was in office playing the role of Rance Priebus, it would be considered extremely inappropriate to say that maybe, uh, geez, Uma's face sure smelled like tuna this morning after that, uh, after that meeting. Geez, they went in there and they were all just really sucking up. And, man, I think there was the smell of tuna all over Uma's face. I don't think you could make that joke about the United States president, the sitting president who is a woman, the first woman in office. I don't think you can make a joke about her snatch smelling like tuna and that it was all over Uma's face. But yet Joy can make a joke about Rance Priebus sucking Trump's dick and tanning lotion or whatever coming off on his face. He have on his lips. <laughs> but I mean, to say it's a blessing and to kiss his butt like that, it's nauseating. No, you're nauseating, Joy. Sorry. And the double standard is disgusting. Just my personal opinion. You know, I don't always do this in the overtime. In fact, I rarely do this. But after that clip, I got upset. Only one way to solve this problem. That's a little high note. So how about a mini high note right here? Picture this. Tomorrow, instead of waking up and going to work... You get involved in a $500,000 marijuana grow operation. Following breaking news, just into our newsroom, police on the scene of a major marijuana bust on the west side. But as it turns out, they were originally called out for a completely different reason. 7 Action News reporter Gino Vici is live now with the latest. Gino, what's happening? Nothing. Well, something completely different. Oh. This is what led to this massive drug bust and investigation. This being a bunch of uh, actually pretty nice uh, graffiti, which he was standing in front of awkwardly there for a moment. Initially into graffiti. That led DP to this location on Cloverdale on Detroit's west side. When investigators arrived, they also noticed something else seemed strange. Take a look. Evidence of new electrical hookups. and Ah, Bitcoin miners, right? Right, right. What? No? RVers? What? Oh, pot. Take a look. Evidence of new electrical hookups and much more than that was originally here. Now, police say they called DTE to investigate. Then they discovered this, one of the most sophisticated grow operations they've seen in a while. We're told the person's responsible had an illegal hookup for water and electricity. Oh, how dare they? So the value of this bust is said to be, in terms of plants inside, uh, is said to be about $600,000. Oh, a little more than I thought. Now, what's funny is it looks like a large garage with a bunch of nice lights and fans. But it, um, so apparently you can get $600,000 in plants if you have a large garage that you're not using. And uh, we're also told DPD has vans inside. They're loading up those plants. I bet they are. And they're going to have much more information on this massive bust later on tonight.
We're live on Detroit's West Side, Gino Vici, 7 Action News. Yep, that was in Detroit. Detroit for you, everybody. <laughs> now, I haven't played uh, Cucker Tuckerson here for a little bit, but he had a guest on that uh, really did not do him very well. He, did, he really did not uh, represent himself or his employer very well, but it uh, nevertheless didn't really seem to slow down his career until he got involved with tentacle porn. I, I There's no other way to put it. He got caught looking at tentacle porn. You remember Kurt Eichenwald. He's the Newsweek reporter who self-immolated on this show about six months ago. We'd invited him on to prove his claim that Donald Trump once spent time in a mental hospital, but Eichenwald never did prove it. Instead, he lost control of himself completely, shouting and gesticulating, making weird noises on the set. By the end of the interview, he was sputtering something incomprehensible about the CIA. It was enough to make you feel kind of sorry for Kurt Eichenwald, and actually, no kidding, we did. MSNBC, by contrast, was impressed by his performance. So impressed, they hired him as a contributor. It seemed like a kind of a weird decision at the time. It seems reckless now. Because yesterday, Eichenwald was back on Twitter yelling about his political views. As it happened, he was actually attacking this show. And to prove his point, whatever that was, he tweeted a picture of his home computer. Okay. Within minutes, sharp-eyed Internet users noticed that he'd left a tab open. In now, this is embarrassing. You know, you tweet a picture, and uh, apparently his desktop was in the shot. In the picture, and it was a link to hardcore Japanese cartoon pornography. It exists. And it's every bit as creepy as it sounds. The internet erupted. Now, that's not so bad. I mean, you know, I don't care what you're into. If you're into tentacle porn, more power to you. The issue was how he handled it. But Eichenwald had a ready explanation for all this. Here's what he later tweeted. We're quoting. Believe it or not, my kids and I were trying to convince my wife that tentacle porn existed. I tried uh -oh. to find some to show her it was real, but I uh -huh. couldn't find any and ended up with this. My family reads my Twitter feed so they know this is true, end quote. Well, of course, just another afternoon of surfing the Internet for hardcore porn with your kids. Makes sense. Well, it's easy to mock an explanation that absurd, and a lot of America is doing that right now. But let's be honest. For real, this is a troubled man. It doesn't help Kurt Eichenwald to pretend he's okay. He's not okay. He shouldn't be on Twitter. He needs help. His employers <laughs> obviously know that. They've got Twitter, but they don't care. Because whenever Kurt Eichenwald says something outrageous, just a few months ago, he said every Republican voting to repeal Obamacare ought to have a family member die in agony because, quote, he wanted to see them be tortured. Uh-oh. The left responds with glee. Newsweek gets clicks. MSNBC gets viewers. It's awful. They're exploiting him. It's cruel. So these supposedly serious news organizations, a plea for real. Stop Kurt Eichenwald before he tweets again. <laughs> What are you doing, Cucker? <laughs> oh, man, that's a weird story. And that's why I love it. I love you, too. Thank you to our patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And remember, stay woke! <laughs>